Well, good morning. This morning, we're going to take a uh, slight detour from the book of Ephesians, where we've been for the last several weeks, but we're going to stay perhaps on the theme. Uh, This is a tough message uh, for me. I'll acknowledge that at the front, and there may be things that I share with you that are difficult, and please know that uh, they were difficult on me first. The Lord laid a particularly difficult scripture on my heart this morning, but I believe that like all scripture, there truly is freedom in the word. I'm going to let you know right now that at the end of the service, I'm going to do something that we don't do very often. I'm going to do an altar call. I'm going to ask anybody that if they have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if you don't know for sure that you are born again, that you are saved, I'm going to ask that you make that public statement and you come forward. Perhaps you have accepted Christ and you know that you have not been following him as you know that you should. And perhaps this morning you need to rededicate your life to Christ. I will also ask you to join me up here in front as well. I want you to be incredibly sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit this morning as we engage his word of truth. I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you will not ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Time is short. I don't know when that time is, but it may mean that this is my last time to preach it may mean that this is the last time that you will hear the word of God. And although we recognize that time is short and the craziness of this world, we do recognize that the signs of the times point to Jesus' return. However, as Jesus pointed out in Luke 12 in the story of the rich landowner who was planning on tearing his barns down to build bigger ones, Jesus said to him, your soul will be required of you this very night. And what was it that Jesus called that man? A fool. So my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't be a fool. If Jesus is calling, we need to answer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you, Lord, that your desire is that none should perish. And all should come to eternal life in you. And I thank you, Lord, for this very message this morning. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. You are moving in a powerful way that you have drawn each person here. There are no mistakes. I ask you now that you would just draw us to yourself. Father, I ask that the words that I speak are not my own, but truly are life-giving, that they are yours I ask, Lord, that whatever it is that I have prepared, if it is not of you, Lord, let it just disappear from my memory. Let you come through loud and clear. Lord, as we prepare our hearts, and you have laid upon my heart to do this altar call, Lord, I just ask that you would be moving in a powerful way, softening hearts, revealing truth, Let godly sorrow come and let our only response be repentance. For out of repentance is life. And so, Father, we just give you 
this very day. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Skip, can you play the video? The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you. We have won. And now you're no longer slaves. You're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the Savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you. Because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Amen. I hope that video prepares our hearts for what is to come because what is to come is perhaps the four scariest words that you find in scripture. Skip, can you put them up? Matthew 7.23, Jesus says, I never knew you. Last week, Frank spoke about our greatest need, the need to be loved, needed, desired, valued, wanted. Yet here, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke existence into being, says, I never knew you. It's hard for us to imagine Jesus saying those words, yet here it is, he sang it. The truth is, it gets worse. Skip. Depart from me. Hmm. The last two weeks, we've been in the book of Ephesians, which Frank will return to next week. We've seen that God wants us to be a part of his family. He wants to adopt us. So what's going on? Let's take a look at the rest of the scripture. Skip. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus speaking. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
many will come to me. How many is many? It's a lot. It's not a trick question, guys. Many is many. I know this is serious, but many is many. Jesus says on that day, what's that day? Day of judgment. So that, that, this is the key to the entirety of this verse, the day of judgment, the white throne judgment of Revelation 20. I'll read Revelation 20 to you. This is verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, that is God, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the, jet, and, excuse me, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead in death, and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire." This is incredibly important for us to understand the context here. The many recognized where they were and they began pleading with Jesus. And so you read, Lord, Lord. These many people were desperate for acknowledgement and approval. They found themselves in the place where they knew their judgment was sealed. They are pleading with Jesus. It's not Lord, Lord. It's Lord, Lord. They're crying out in desperation. They have heard the good news and they find themselves in the path of judgment and ultimate destruction. They know this, which is why they, they are pleading with Christ. It's like a robber pleading for leniency from the judge And so the many cry out to the judge for their leniency. Please, judge Jesus, just let us in. I'll live in that tar paper shack in the outskirts of heaven. Please, just let me pass. But the problem is, is that there are no tar paper shacks in heaven. Jesus said that there are many mansions in my father's house, and he goes to prepare that place. And trust me, folks, he will return to bring us home. There are no tar paper shacks in heaven. There is no just let me pass. You see, we have an epidemic of false religion in our culture. We know the worship of fame and fortune, and we know sports, especially now that we're in football season, is our God. The pursuit of happiness and all that it can buy are a problem. What I'm talking about here this morning is the false religion of love. Skip, can you put up the picture? Blount County in Tennessee recently proposed a resolution calling for God's mercy to be upon us in the light of the Supreme Court's decision legalizing gay marriage across the country. 
the resolution in part read this, quote, calling upon God now, quote, pass us by in his coming wrath and not destroy our county as he did Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities. As the Passover lamb was the means of salvation to the ancient children of Israel, so we stand upon the safety of the lamb of God to save us, unquote. Now, while I find this interesting that this county would call upon God to spare them, recognizing that there are consequences to our disobedience, I find the response to the resolution even more frightening. This is from the Daily Times, a newspaper in Blount County. Dr. Philip Michael Sherman, associate professor of religion at Maryville College, said... The story of Sodom and Gomorrah from the Bible has often been used to argue against same-sex activity, but, quote, a close reading of that story to reveal something else is probably taking place. This is not a story about homosexuality as we might conceive it, but this is a story about sexual violence and particularly against those from outside the community. The people who are threatened are visitors to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes on to say, it's what we would think of in terms of social justice lack of care and concern for those on the margins of society, unquote. He goes on, that particular sin is one that most folks would say is still struggle with to this day. It has nothing to do with sexual orientation we conceive in the modern world. Now, I don't know I have time to get into the entirety of this statement and how it contradicts the word of God. If you would like to discuss it, please see me. But the article goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. Goes on, public debate concerning the resolution, this is a quote now, public debate concerning the resolution could turn Fiery's opinions seem strong on both sides of the issues. That's from the article, excuse me. Ginny West Case, a retired Christian educator in the United Methodist Church, said the God of Miller's resolution doesn't, doesn't sound like the God that she knows. Here's the quote. That is not, primary, not a primary characteristic of the God I know and love, she said. I'm tired of God being used as a battering ram. The Bible over and over tells us God is the God of love and grace and mercy. Case has an idea that God's anger might be focused elsewhere, the article says, than on same-sex marriages. Here's her quote again. I think the wrath of God is more inclined to fall on those people who are so condemning and judgmental. But I believe more greatly in the grace of God, and I believe the grace of God makes room for all people at the table. Apparently, by Miss Case's estimation, the table of God's love and grace doesn't have room for those who don't agree with her. And I ask her the question, who is using God as the battering ram? But the point that's most damaging out there is the false religion of love. Ginny West Case explains it perfectly. She writes... The Bible over and over tells us God is the God of love. And so my question to you is, is the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ love? What is the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not what I think or what you think, but let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Skip, can you put up John 14? I am the way... The love and the life. I am the way, the good job and the life. 
No. What is it? Truth. Truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. Skip, if you can put up the complete. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The problem is that you have a lot of pastors, preachers out there sticking whatever they want in that blank space. Unfortunately, love often finds its way there, and that's because they have hijacked the word love, and they've turned it into what feels good. Love has become an excuse to engage in any behavior that you want to. In fact, God loves you so much, you can't sin anymore. That's the hyper-grace movement. God loves you so much that he wants you to have anything your little old heart desires. And that's the prosperity movement. But you say, Jeff, you're taking just one scripture. Now, I could present dozens to you this morning, like John 17, 17, sanctify them with your truth. Or in Romans 2.15, where God has written his truth on human hearts and in our conscience. As followers of truth, we are to walk in the truth in 3 John 1.3. Love the truth and believe the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, we're to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4. But I want to play a game this morning. It's called the opposite game. Here's the rules. I'll give you a word and you give me the opposite. So if I were to say stop, you'd say? All right. If I were to say up? All right. Getting hang of this. If I were to say truth? False lies. Right. If I were to say love? Hate. Okay. Perfect. God. Satan. Excellent. You guys are on it this morning. So if we're to look in the Bible for an explanation of Satan we should find that our conclusions are made true by understanding God to be reflected in his opposite, in Satan. So if God is love, then we would expect to see the Bible to tell us that Satan is what? If God is truth, we would expect the Bible to tell us that Satan is? All right, let's see what the Bible says. Skip, John eight forty four. You are... Your father, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, has nothing to do with truth, because there is no, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a, and the father of, you guys are awesome this morning. Now, the setup of this is the earthly ministry of Jesus is drawing to a close. He's revealing more and more about himself. The entirety of John 8 really gives the completeness of the work of Christ and the work of Satan neatly packaged together. In fact, John, if you can put up, excuse me, skip, John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham 
and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And yet Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Oh, that we may get that, church. There is freedom in Christ. See, Jesus is telling us here that love is the outcome of truth. Unfortunately, so often, truth becomes a consequence of love. He is here to bring truth. So now let us return to Matthew 7. As we read this, the inevitable question gets asked, can somebody lose salvation? After all, these many are calling Jesus Lord. Is that not enough? And if they call him Lord, doesn't that indicate that they are saved? And yet, as we discussed earlier, those many aren't saved. The answer is no, you cannot lose your salvation. Countless scriptures remind us that once you have been written into the Lamb's book of life, you are sealed. The issue for the many is the one turning to Jesus into a, into a religion, not a relationship. Jesus telling us that there are many who are begging for their eternity by telling Jesus all that they have done for him. Look at what I've done here. Look at what I've done there. And yet Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. That's remarkable. Now listen, church, the question isn't whether you know Jesus. The question is whether he knows you. 
That's the question for this morning. Does the truth reside in you? You see, Satan knows Jesus. The demons believe Jesus. But is the truth found in you? The many went to judgment, having turned Jesus into religion. Jesus came to free us from religion. The Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, was meant to impress upon our hearts our desperate need for God. And perhaps my favorite scripture, Deuteronomy 6.4. Grew up with this scripture in the temple, in the synagogue. Would say this prayer at night, mostly at my grandparents' house. My parents weren't so into it. We'd say as we laid down, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your heart. They were to be everything that we are. This is the truth of God spoken into his chosen peoples. It was supposed to be who they were that would then be reflected in what they did not the other way around. Man, at that time, the time that Jesus came, had turned those very scriptures into into religion. The desperate need to follow man-made rules and be obligated to behave in a certain manner. That's never what God intentioned. And it wasn't what Jesus intended when he pierced eternity and dwelt amongst us. Jesus is looking for relationship. He's looking to know you. Matthew 7.21 gives us the very answer of who will be known by Jesus. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, that's perhaps the greatest but in all of Scripture. The many will come, but... He who does the will of my Father in heaven, he will enter heaven. And so we ask, what's the will of the Father? Scripture has that answer as well. Skip, if you can put it up, John 6. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. If it is the will of God that all be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by our own works, not by our efforts, 
No religion is going to get you there. Jesus' heart is that you would know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So are you free? Are you? Have you experienced freedom? And I know that you have done bad things. I've done bad things. May feel maybe in a place where God can't save you. Skip, put up Romans 3, 22, please. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Now, church, we haven't done this in a while. What does all mean? All means all, all the time, and that's all all will ever mean. Thank you very much, Frank. That's me, and that's you. That also means it's those people that you think are judging you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in this very scripture, it gives us the answer. We are his righteousness. We are are justified. We are made to be children of God, to be known by him, by the redemption of his grace and our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 tells us that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are set free from the bondage of sin. You are set free from the consequences of your rebellion from God when you surrender your life. Recognize Jesus not only as a way, but the way. Not only a truth, but the truth. Not only a life, but the life. The only way to eternal life. Not when you seek Jesus to get out of your own present circumstances, but when you seek his face, his power, his mercy, his courage to face those circumstances. In a minute, I'm going to extend that invitation to you. I'll ask for Pat to come up. For those who have never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I ask, is the Lord speaking to your heart? Those who are caught in the bondage of sin, and rebellion going nowhere. I know that there are people here who don't know the Lord. Let him speak to your heart this morning. You may not have another morning. You may never hear that gospel call again. I said maybe there are some of those of you who are here this morning who have been walking on the wide path and you know that you haven't been right. You know that the Lord has been calling you to return to him. Perhaps you need to do some business with the Lord. God says, 
that he is faithful to those who come to him with humble and contrite hearts. And my prayer this morning is that we would be humbled, that we would be contrite, that we would seek his face, that we would seek his mercy, that we would seek his truth. Oh, we are so desperate for his truth. This world is desperate for his truth. Father, I just ask now, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, Lord. Father, it is not my words. It is you and you alone who can draw your people to yourself. Father, I just ask that if there's those who have not committed their lives to you this morning, Father, if there are those who are questioning whether they are born again, if they've ever surrendered themselves completely to you, I ask, Father, that you would draw them to yourself. May they come and they seek your mercy. May they seek your grace. May they seek the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse them Make them new again. And Father, I ask that for those who have committed their lives to you, but Father, through whatever circumstances, find themselves to be far afield. Find themselves to be sitting in the stands watching life pass them by. And you are drawing them, Lord, onto the playing field. You are drawing them, Lord, to commit everything, to follow you, to drop their nets, to let go of their own control, their own lives. Let them come forward as well, Lord. We are seeking you. Each one of us, Father, needs you desperately. Father, we just thank you. Amen. Now as Pat plays this last song, stay up here and continue to pray and share and just ask that you take this time. There is nothing more important than knowing that you are right with the living God. to take this opportunity. Join me up here. We're going to be up here when Pat finishes. We're going to be praying. The other elders and others will be joining me here to pray with you and for you. So I just invite you now.